And if you talk about brand, it's all about being authentic, right? It's who you are and being able to represent that through colors, through message, through words. And I, I think that w- what has happened is that um, everyone just wants to be safe. B2B has the potential to be electrifying. But the industry is paralyzed by a culture of conservatism, scared stiff in a straitjacket of rational ideas. It's time for change. It's time to make B2B marketing visceral. Join us as we uncover and explore the truth with leading B2B marketers. This is B2B Marketing, the provocative truth. Hello and welcome to B2B Marketing, The Provocative Truth. I'm Benedict and today I am joined by Karen Sage, who is CMO of Shipwell. Karen, a very, very warm welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Benedict. Really happy to be here. Thank you. Well, you are very, very welcome indeed. Um, Now, I've just given you the shortest of short introductions, which is nothing more than a job title and a company name. Um, But for those of people that aren't familiar with you, um, the floor is yours. Please take 30 seconds. Let's just give us a little bit of a background into Karen Sage. Sure. So I am a serial CMO. Um, My CMO positions have mostly been in supply chain. And uh, I would say I'm I'm kind of unique in a couple different ways. I'm probably one of the few introverted marketing people that that you'll meet. And then the second is my by training, I'm an engineer. Um, I moved into marketing. I feel like marketing is actually a systems problem. And we can talk about that like till the cows come home. I work for Shipwell. Uh, This is uh, a company that does SaaS software. It does transportation management, and it's a pretty exciting space. Indeed, indeed. Well, funnily enough, you are not the first uh, marketer we've had on with an engineer's background. So, but look, whilst it may not be unique, I think it very, very much puts you in a very, very prestigious minority, shall we say. Uh, And I definitely will pick up this idea of the system thinking when it relates to to marketing. But it does fascinate me, actually, that more and more we're seeing marketers that come from a either a technology or a science or indeed an engineering background. Uh, We've also had one from a medical background as well previously, which I think was uh, particularly fascinating. Um, But today, uh, we're not going to be talking about um, marketers alma maters. We are going to be talking about the state of B2B brands. And I think most importantly, um, trying to get a bit of an understanding about why we see such homogenization within the B2B marketing space when it comes to, to brands. Now, a sort of a little bit of a hypothesis that, that I have, or certainly something that I've observed, is that there are many um, B2B companies out there that are still ultimately leading very much with features and benefits-led sort of marketing, rather than actually thinking about the role that brand can play in creating that distinction, that all-important distinction. So the provocative truth that I want to give you and get your response to is that many B2B brands don't actually understand the role that brand can play in creating a differentiation and a distinction in the minds of your audience. Is that something you'd agree with? I totally agree with it. I think in general, B2B marketing pretty much sucks. I, I think <laughs> there you go. Um, that's that. That's the soundbite. So <laughs> yeah, I, I think you know one of the things that that's like painfully true is that it's boring. And I think part of what where that comes from is that people are trying to be safe. Um, mm. They feel like oh, you can't go there. And in fact, like when the Bud Light thing happened and Nike, I remember you know e- even my CEO sent me a note and said know your audience. And I I think it's sort of like. 
know your audience, but yet stand for something and and make sure that you are willing to stand up and, and stay strong um, in your position. And that will influence the power of the brand mm. behind your message. And so in your analysis, what do you think the reason is? Is it that, that B2B companies are inherently risk averse? Is it because they don't understand the role that brand, brand can play? They don't have enough strength within their, their organizations to push back? Like, yeah, what's your diagnosis? I think essentially that they're trying to um, be everything to everyone. So um, even when you start to talk about features and things like that, they're like, oh, don't mention that because we, you know, we don't have that. It sort of it breaks kind of that authenticity, authenticity sort of role. Mm -hmm. And if you talk about brand, it's all about being authentic, right? It's who you are and being able to represent that through colors, through message, through words. Um, and I, I think that w what has happened is that um, everyone just wants to be safe. And, and it's interesting, you, you spoke there around, used the Nike example, and I'm, I'm assuming that you're probably referring to the Colin Kaepernick um, sort of campaign and, you know, how fantastically divisive that was uh, and how strong it was in terms of positioning Nike. And you mentioned the Bud Light and the, the recent um, uh, sort of controversy, I think it was almost the, the, the wrong word, but the backlash that they received um, when they endorsed, and I can't remember the, the name of the, um, the influencer uh, that they, they worked with, but a trans influencer. And sure. there was a huge backlash in terms of um, people uh, boycotting um, Bud Light. So we've got some really good examples there about where brands in the consumer space have taken that divisive positioning. Now, that in both cases, um, they lost a lot of customers. Now, that might not be a bad thing. And I think actually Nike, whilst there was a big proportion of uh, people in America that burnt their Nike trainers, they actually probably saw a net positive as a result of that mm -hmm. campaign. But still, hugely scary, that idea of actively losing um, customers. So applying that to a B2B sphere, like, what would be the argument that you would make to B2B brands about why they should embrace that division? I think at the end of the day, it's it's about who you are. And if you believe in something, you really shouldn't step back on it. And I, mm -hmm. I think that's where uh, Bud Light kind of messed up. They ended up pissing off everybody, right? Because mm -hmm. they they essentially, you know, back they, they backtracked and then they doubled down. They ended up firing, I think, several of their marketing team. Um, just sort of bad, 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 bad in terms of not sticking up for your sort of who you are. I think if they had explained it as, you know, um, you know, this is about diversity, understand that you're upset by this. But, you know, the fact that uh, we're free people and, and, you know, you are allowed to be whoever you are, like they could have taken a whole different route in terms of of sort of uh both justifying and, and calming that sort of situation down. They didn't. Um, I think in B2B, like we, a lot of times we talk about sort of the ideal prospect. Um, I think you have to figure out sort of like who you are as a brand, who you're trying to target as a brand, and then really stick to the, the you know, the, the synergy that you have in between, you know, sort of that combination. I think that when you, when you try to be beyond that and sort of like, oh, if, if we do this, we'll get more um, interest. Well, doesn't, doesn't quite work that way. You, you really have to have that sort of centering 
And I think without that, you, you lose your way. Mm, absolutely. I think just for, it was remiss of me to remember the influencer's name. And of course, it is Dylan Mulvaney. That's so right. a- apologies. <laughs> it, was, it was bad of me. It was, the name was there. And I just could not access it quick enough. So anyway, hopefully we've, uh, we've remedied that, that. But in terms of what you've just um, given me the answer there, I think this leads on really nicely to the, sort of my next two questions, really. So you talked about like, B2B brands need to firstly uh, identify what it is that they believe in, what is it they, they stand for. And then the second part is, you know, w- understanding exactly who your audience is. Mm-hmm. So let's take those in turn. When a B2B brand needs to go through a process of understanding you, what it is that they believe in beyond the sort of the, the core parts of what their business is about, what's that process that they need to go through? You know, what are the questions that they need to ask themselves to arrive at that point where they say, well, we are a MarTech company and this is what we believe in. We are a supply chain company and this is what we believe in. I think you, you, you know, they talk a lot about narrative, right? I think you mm. need to define sort of your path and what you're, you hope to obtain doesn't mean that you can't pivot, right? You can't, you know, it doesn't mean that you can't set your North Star in one direction and say, you know, um, things have changed, the economy's changed, the, you know, um, the politics have changed. I I think that that it's about sort of introspection and really understanding kind of why you wake up in the, the, the morning and, you know, why are you trying to solve what problem and to whom, you know, it's, it's sort mm. of very fundamental. And I think if there's, there's cracks in that, that sort of story, I think that's where you, you start to see a lot of problems. So when we're, and I think that in terms of you talking about like what problem are we trying to solve? Now you can't work out what problem you're trying to solve unless you understand the audience, which is always the second question, which I was sort of alluding to there. Um, now, before we get into trying to segment an audience based on sort of attitudinal lines, which is what I'd really, really like to, to talk about. What, what, what would you suggest are the sort of the key things in terms of defining what that problem is that you should solve? How can brands be specific about that problem? Usually it's a calling. Um, you know, I, I think that usually you, you have a set of tools and you show up and you, you, you know, you're faced with something that you want to solve. Um, mm. I think you know, and it's easy to say that it's it's harder to kind of define what that is. Uh, one of the things that you had asked me about earlier, which I think is relevant here, is the whole sustainability thing. Um, you know, he, here is an area that that is ripe for you know challenges and solving challenges, but yet there's a political spin to it, meaning that that you know, for my area, transportation. You know, that's one of the most uh, sort of uh, egregious sort of spaces in terms of carbon pollution. Right. Mm. Um, Now, obviously, uh, when you when you look at sort of the problems in those areas, you have to sort of figure out how do you dice and slice that and, and what you know, what really you're trying to do and where you stand in that whole mix of things. Right. And I think it just, you know, these things kind of shake out what's really important then. And you talked there around, I suppose, taking it up one level and you're looking at a bigger problem that you're solving, which is around sustainability, trying to um, take meaningful action against the effects of, of climate change, for instance. Do, do you feel that it's it's important, and many brands don't do this successfully, where they, they're kind of looking at the problems they solve on too micro a level? Mm-hmm. So it, it might be, you know, to take the transportation example, um, 
that they might be thinking about, well, um, you have a problem because you can't get your goods from A to B as quickly. So therefore, that's a problem I'm going to solve. I'm just going to talk about that rather than thinking about, well, this is a bigger problem, right. which our solutions are going to contribute to and something you, you care about. Do you think there's almost that order of magnitude which brands or marketers don't allow themselves to think about? Again, I think it's being safe, right? Because I yeah. think if you start to get into those bigger challenges, um, I think it gets a little it gets a little fuzzy, right? Um, you know, if you look at sort of sustainability, a lot of huge companies have uh, sustainability, you know, departments. It could be under marketing. Mm. It could be under some corporate thing. You go into the supply chain and you get down into those organizations and you ask them, um, you know, what are you doing for sustainability? They're like, I don't know, talk to corporate, right? Uh, very disparate sort of approach and, and responsibility there. And I think that's a huge problem, right? Um, but I, I think at the same time, um, you know, when we talk about emotion, obviously, I think everybody, whether, you know, right or wrong, has an opinion about sustainability and, and our role as humans to sort of uh, address it, right? Um, could be to ignore it. But and if that's where you and your company stand, that's fine. But that's your that's your narrative. I, I think, you know, obviously, we prefer the, the flip side of that, right? That you really do care. And, and mm. you know, yes, your corporate is this, but here I can help you play into that corporate initiative. It definitely will have a, um, I think a more charged energy, uh, authentic kind of uh, sort of message that you're sending. And that idea of authenticity is is key. You've got to be sincere in what you're doing. You can't be over over overreaching, doing something which is uh, disingenuous. Um, from your perspective, what what would be like almost the key question that a brand should ask themselves to make sure that they are staying on that right side of authenticity rather than actually trying to masquerade as something they're not? So you know, one example I can think of, and this is a good example because of just the the change and sort of thinking when, when I first got to Shipwell, um, it was, it, the branding was really dull. The colors were dull. They were blue and green and black and gray and, you know, just very segmented, right? The message was, like you said, features, benefits, features, benefits, features, benefits. So um, one of the things that happened quickly after I joined was um, one of the, the, our competitors essentially had a product and they went out of business. And I remember sitting around with the marketing and they they had sort of the, like, you know, you wanna grab those situations, right? And they had messaging about, you know, we'll save your installation costs, we'll do this, we'll do this. Mm. And I'm like, guys, hold, 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 hold the horse here. You know, um, they just got sucker punched. They just basically got told that this product that they depend on that provides all these benefits that you so you know neatly laid out just got crunched. And I said, you know, they got sucker punched. And and so, you know, we put a big ad around, you know, a, a boxer and and you know, sort of getting smacked in the, the face. And it was really, you know, it was it was very different than the team was used to. They had these formulas that they were filling out to kind of get the messaging. They were going through this, this sort of routine process to 
you know, comprise and get their messaging straight. What I did was I threw away those formulas and I said, wait a minute, you know, we're missing the elephant in the room. And so it was really tapping in. Now, I will say it's it's interesting because it's been nine months since then. And I've seen um, competitors now have boxing people in their ads <laughs> and things like that. And I'm, I'm laughing to myself because ours had intent and purpose. And that authenticity of, of sort of getting into their head and what they were feeling isn't just the picture. It isn't the use of boxers. And mm. the, the other brands are just missing it. I think, you know, from a, from a, you know, it's annoying to me that they would copy, but it, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't have the magic that our message did. And I, I suppose there's a little bit of a segue actually in terms of what you're talking about there and, and you know, understanding, you know, what would resonate with your audience outside of just the fact that they've got a job title and they work in a certain industry, which comes back to what I was talking about in terms of the understanding your audience. We were talking around Nike, which definitely divided its audience along attitudinal or political lines, um, potentially, and what they did with that Colin Kaepernick um, ad. Now, whether you are um, a trainer burning, and I'm, I'm going to say a trainer burning uh, Trump supporter. I, I, apologies <laughs> no. for an American audience if I am saying a faux pas. I appreciate. I might be saying this, but say for instance, you are a you know an anti woke, trainer burning Trump supporter. Your need is still for trainers. You still wear, wear trainers, and if you were a you know very very far on the the left, again your need is still actually to wear trainers. Now Nike would not have been able to divide their audience if they just looked at the sort of the very basic need state. Um, now, the reason why I'm sort of giving that sort of analogy is that when we think about B2B and we think about how we go through a segmentation and targeting exercise, really what we're doing is we're splitting up the market and we're basing it on firmographic data. So it's, you know, uh, what are the job titles that we might be going after? What's the size of the company? What are the uh, geographies? Mm -hmm. It might be stuff about like, well, what's their, um, you know, stage of growth, for instance, within a company. But we very, very rarely get into looking at our audience attitudinally and making sort of some lines of division on attitudinal factors. What would be, what's your way of looking at how you break a B2B audience down on attitudes? So you, you would be surprised. Um, you know, I mentioned that the color set was really boring. Yeah. One of the things I just threw in there, I mean, I could have done a huge brand exercise, right? And come up with, you know, lively colors, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. What I did is I threw a Barbie shade of pink into the mix. And I did that because it was absurd. It was easy to do. Believe it or not, it was controversial from several of our audience who felt like I was trying to make some kind of woke statement using something, you know, and, and someone even told me, you know, Karen, you know, it, it's kind of gay. And I don't mean gay in a happy sense. I mean, gay isn't gay, you know, and, and mm. I'm just like, am I hearing this? Like, are you kidding? <laughs> but I, I, I bring that up because... I think, you know, um, I got that backlash. I pushed forward and just said, you're wrong. And you know how I did it? Go back to my engineering roots. I showed them through data. So I showed mm -hmm. them that people were clicking on our stuff. They were, you know, they were engaging our stuff. And, and I said, you know, I understand where you're coming from. And I understand that you feel like, you know, something that you are comfortable with is no longer comforting. 
But I, I, I think that, you know, it behooves us to really push the, the, the envelope on this to really make change and wake up woke <laughs> our audience, right? Yeah. I, I, I think that the, the reasons you, you did it, as you said, were actually because the, 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 the vibrancy of that pink, it was, it was striking, it was memorable, it struck a chord with the audience. And, but even those people that maybe did interpret it along those lines which you didn't intend, it's not actually a bad thing because probably by creating that dividing line, the customers which are going to be most aligned to the future of your organization are probably not going to be ones that had that adverse reaction That's to right. it anyway. So it's actually very, very helpful in creating that distinction, creating that in crowd, which is very, very important, and creating that out crowd, which is equally important. I think that's something which we, we talk about, certainly, Alan, is the importance of creating an out crowd. It's almost more important than the in crowd. Because actually, when you think about things like identity, you form identity, not because of you've got shared characteristics, but it's often when you're saying, well, I'm not like that person. That's so therefore right. that's the boundary of my identity and I'm this side of the, the, the fence ultimately. And I think it's exactly the same within brand marketing. I think you're right. And I think one, one of the sort of um, extensions of that is around community. Mm. I, I think one of the things that brand is really important with is creating that community. And so, you know, it's that affinity that you feel like I'm not one of those, I'm one of yeah. these and I'm progressive and I'm, you know, I, I think that makes a distinction too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is, and it's not always the case when we do these podcasts where we sort of segue to the, my final question. Sometimes it's a really abrupt segue where I'm trying to look for, we're talking about lead generation and then suddenly I've got to ask someone what's the, the best bit of creative they've seen. But I think on this particular instance, given what we've just been talking about, it's a very, very nice tee up for our house question that we, we have here. Very, very important, um, which is when was the last time that you saw some marketing? It could be B2B, it could be B2C that made you feel it in your guts, that moved you on a deep emotional level. I'm just going to qualify it that you're not allowed to use your boxer example, yep. but outside of that, what, what really stands out to you? So I knew you were going to ask this question and I thought tons about it. And I also said, if I go B2C, I am... I am, you know, back to my statement about B2B sucks. I'm like, you yeah, know, yeah. cementing it'll suck forever, right? And so um, I did pick one and, and you know, it's Gong, Gong.io. Uh, Gong is sort of a, uh, it, it's a sales enhancement intelligence kind of uh, sort of communication tool. The reason why I picked it, not just because its brand is vibrant and inclusive, it's because they know how to do community. It, it actually ties really, mm. you know, kind of back into what we were saying before that brand is sort of, it's a way to kind of define that community. Gong has really done just a, you know, whether you're a prospect to a, a you know, diehard customer, engaging you, making you sort of um, a, a fan, you know, uh, being able to reward you for that. They have lots of sort of tools in terms of gaming and stuff like that. Um, I just know that, that, you know, it, it, it does appeal to me emotionally. It's, you know, you could say, is that the brand? Absolutely. In a sense, I really, you know, I want to wear gong shirts, you know, mm. I, it, it's sort of, you know, being a fan girl, right. I, I think that, um, 
that's what sort of impressed me emotionally about that brand. Well, I think that that is a marker of something doing well if you you want to wear their t-shirts. So just just so to pick up on that that gong thing, and you talk there about the community, and you talked you know how they they're really good at fostering that. If we're to sort of rewind and think about what we were talking about, where they're you know where they draw the boundary, who who would be their out crowd? Who who do you think you know if they if we think about their their whole addressable market? What's that segment which they're ex- they're excluding? I think it's people who want to minimize them in the box to which they could be characterized. Um, at the end of the day, they could be seen as a meeting recorder. Mm-hmm. But they're more than that. And so who they're excluding are the people who want to minimize the value that they provide, uh, the insight, the the um, sort of guidance, the intelligence, the to sort of bring it forward. Um, and so, you know, again, it's people who don't want to change. Um, mm. I think that's that's who they're trying to push out of that model. Well, and, and that ties into what we were sort of talking about earlier in terms of the importance of thinking bigger than just the micro problem that you are solving and the very, very defined narrow vertical that you typically operate in. And for me, I think that's one of the biggest takeouts that from, from this conversation that if you want to build a brand which people are going to be compelled by, people are going to feel that affinity, yes, you should be solving their problems, but you shouldn't just be solving the micro practical problem they have. You've got to be brave, take it up one level and think about what is that problem that I am solving, which potentially transcends the sort of the narrow vertical that I operate in, because that's what people buy into. That's what people remember. And then the second thing, which I think we've, we spoke about really, really nicely at the end there, it's you've got to be prepared to divide your yeah. your audience. And Take a stand. all that happens if you try and please everyone is that you please no one and you end up with a very, very homogenous um, sort of picture. But if you are prepared and you've got to make sure there's enough within the segment that you're going to target, but if you are prepared to be brave with your um, segmentation and your targeting, the effect and the affinity that you're going to drive with that group is going to be that much higher. So, Karen, it was a real, real pleasure. Uh, very, very enjoyable conversation. Uh, and thank you very much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you. Please be marketing the provocative truth is brought to you by Allen Agency. To find out more, head to allen-agency.com. You can stream B2B Marketing The Provocative Truth on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else great podcasts are found. And don't forget to click subscribe to ensure you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Allen, thanks for listening.